The message that I've been given for today, I received two weeks ago tomorrow. I had suggested to Sim that if he was feeling well enough to preach today to go ahead. But then I emailed him on the Monday to say, Sim, I guess I'm on for the 21st because the Lord's given me a message. So this is two weeks ago. Little did we know what was going to happen this week. I have mixed emotions. The reason is I feel a little bit today like I think the Apostle Paul must have felt. Only in a very, very small measure. You see, as an apostle, he went out and he started churches. And those churches were built up. And I can't remember which church. Maybe Sim can help me. There was one church that Paul started, and he was only there for three months. Do you remember who that might be? I tried to look it up this morning, and I couldn't find it. I don't know where I got it from. But there's one church that he hadn't been there very long. And I'd always wondered... If Paul was there for such a short time, what, did he, what message did he relay to the people that were just coming to salvation in Christ? That in such a short time, he could leave them and that church would survive. I've often wondered that. What was communicated? And I've sought since at least the year 2000 to write down things that might indicate what that might be, to find the fundamentals to pass on to others whereby they can have a firm foundation on which to grow in their Christian life. I'm not certain that I've got the answers, but I know one thing, and that is unknown to probably most of you. This past summer, the messages were not haphazard. If you were to go back and listen, you would find out that the basis of those messages were to build a foundation on which you could stand the difficult times. And now here we are today facing one of these difficult times. And unless you're firmly grounded in Jesus Christ, you will not survive such shaking. And as I was thinking of Paul, he had retraced this. Is just, I want to do this prior to the message. I was looking at this this morning from Acts 20. Paul had gone back on his journeys. He was heading back to Jerusalem and he came, wanted to drop by Ephesus and he called the elders together. And he says to them this, he says, and when, uh, no, sir, well, let me read from verse 18. And when they were come to him, that is to Paul, he said to them, You know from the very first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and trials which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have shown you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to both the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." He goes on to say, For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, 
not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And then he went, they went down to the shore and Paul knelt down and he prayed for them. And they wept bitterly because Paul had said, you will see my face no longer. We, as Christians, Paul describes our course as one of a race. We're in this race together, each and every one of us. That's why when one, one member suffer, we all suffer. Been demonstrated here this morning. Another thing that's been demonstrated here this morning and brought in relief before every one of us is a shortness of time. What are we going to do with the time that we have left? The Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy that we're going to be reading, this was the last letter that Paul had written. He was coming to the end of his days, and he has some advice to give to Timothy. And somehow, I've reached this stage in life that I hope I have something to pass on. There's some things to be aware of. There are things that we need to know what's involved in this path, in this race that we have been put into the moment we believed. <coughs> I've put up here, how will you finish the race? You see, it's not how you start the race that counts. It's how are you going to finish the race? And you don't know how many days you've got left to finish the race. So this is serious business. Where do you stand right now if today was your last day? Can you say with the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure from this world is at hand and I will soon go free. I have fought the good and worthy and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is firmly guarding the gospel against error. In the future, there is reserved for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that great day, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved and longed for and welcomed his appearing. You see, Paul likens this race that we're into as a fight. He says, I fought the good fight. Whether you realize it or not, we're in a spiritual battle from the day that we were first saved until the present time, until the very last day of our lives. We're in a battle. Paul fought with those that were the religious leaders of his day. He fought with those that would not even give an ear to the gospel. And yet, Paul continued his fight now to the very end of his life. And he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race 
You realize this is a race. This is not just a sprint. This is a race. This is a long-term race that each and every one of us, have. we've signed up for that. And he says, I've finished that race. I have kept the faith. Which took my mind to what Jude writes when he wrote that one chapter in his letter. He says, I intended to write to you about our common salvation. But I'm having to write to you to defend earnestly for the faith. This is the first century of the church. The church was departing even then. And Jude says, we need to be able to defend the faith. This is so important in the days that are coming. We need to know and stand on a firm foundation because the warfare is getting more intense and it will get more intense as the days proceed. But Paul also realized that he was working towards something and that something was there's a crown of righteousness laid up for him which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give to him on that day. He had done what was right. He defended the faith. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not only for me, but for all those who love his appearing, all those who are waiting for the return of Christ. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for us. And that's what Paul wants to put to, to, to um, bring to uh, Timothy's attention. So this is a marathon that we're in. You getting weary? I've gotten weary many times. I don't think I'm speaking out of terms to say I think Sim's been weary too. We all face these things. We don't know what we may have to face. I think I mentioned something about that last week. We had no idea what was going to happen this week. This Christian life is not easy. I didn't get anybody's hands raised last week to say that the Christian life was easy. But we don't realize sometimes how difficult it can become. And it does become. So it's a marathon. But here's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, Do, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run their very best to win, but only one receives the prize. We're in this race together. How are you going to run? Well, for one thing, it's a distance run. So you better pace yourself, or you're going to burn out. But we need to continue to run, not walk, not sit down, not give up, we're going to continue to run the race because there's a prize that's heading, that we're heading towards. Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run with, it, 
without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. Paul's determination, he was not going to fail. He did whatever he could do to keep in the race and to keep his eyes focused on Jesus. If we do not have Jesus as our focal point, we're going to get distracted. Now let me remind you that this Christian life that we began this race with, God has supplied us with absolutely everything necessary to complete the race. He has declared us righteous because we've believed in Jesus Christ. We have been made holy. We've been made sanctified. We've been set apart from, for Him. At the very beginning of the race, Jesus is the focal point. As we continue the race, we must realize that we're not running that race to become holy, to become righteous. God has already done that. Run that race knowing firmly that you have a foundation in Christ, but nothing will persuade you from focusing on the goal. The end of that race is Jesus Christ. We are going to see him face to face. But you see, in order to run like this, we need to have a proper diet. If you're not in the Word, if your heart is not so in love with Jesus that you're communicating with him from day to day, you're not equipped to run. You're going to slow down. You're going to peter out. Why? Because simply, Jesus is the food for the believer. And if you're not feeding on him, you'll never, ever be able to run with endurance that race that's before you. It is of vital importance that we keep our communication open with the Lord and that we keep in the word. I'm not making this something legal. You've got to read a chapter. You've got to read a book every day. No. Keep your mind in the word even if it's a verse. And I know how difficult it is, having gone off track and become discouraged, how difficult it is to go back and to reestablish that relationship and that hunger for God's Word. It's a fight. Believe me, it's a fight. If you have ever reached that point, you will know. You might be in that place right now where you become discouraged. The Christian life is no longer the flaming fire that it once was in your heart. And it's beginning to peter out and the light is beginning to be diminished. It's a fight, I tell you, beloved, it's a fight. Keep pressing forward. Keep in the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to preserve you for what lies ahead. So how are you running the race? And this is what Paul well, we're assuming it's maybe Paul that writes Hebrews. It doesn't tell us exactly. But Hebrews 12, which is the chapter before is those that live their life by faith. The whole list of those that live their life by faith. 
Some of the things they went through, sometimes God delivered them, sometimes He didn't. Sometimes those that pursued that life of faith at the end of their life, their bodies were torn asunder. Of whom the world was not worthy. Doesn't mean to say that God is going to intervene in every circumstance and it's going to turn out well. Many have faced martyrdom even in our day. But here's what it says in Hebrews, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute fullness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. You hear what he says? Strip off everything. Paul's referring to the Olympic Games. And in those days, it was only the men that competed. What did they do? They stripped down to nothing. So there would be nothing to hinder them to run that race. And Paul is liking it to this. Stripping off every unnecessary weight and sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Who? Consider him. Who? For the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All the trials will take me the rest of the day to talk to you about the trials. But the trials come in. But there have been many times in my life when I faced a trial and my mind went back to what was it like for Jesus. Never thought about that? No matter what we go through, What was the suffering like for him? The one who knew no sin, who did no sin, became sin for us. And he humbled himself, even unto death, even that of the cross. What are our trials in comparison? Therefore, we have a faithful high priest that we can go to with our cares and our problems. And he ever lives to intercede for us. Don't forget the throne of God is right within you. Jesus is not out there somewhere. He's come to live right within you. He's there. Draw on that resource. As a believer, you have all the resources required to run this race. But you know, we can grow weary and lose heart. What did Paul view as the most important thing in his life? I've mentioned this before. 
And I like it from the Amplified Version. I don't think that's what this is. It might be the New King James from Philippians 3. Paul says, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. What were the things that Paul had to give up? Paul was brought up as a Pharisee. He got his training, his biblical training, from Gamaliel at the time, the most renowned teacher in Israel. He couldn't have had the message given to him any clearer of the Old Testament scriptures than what he received. But you see, the Pharisees were all about doing and not doing. Their life was based on, I have to reach some sort of a goal. I'm deficient. The Christian life is God has supplied you with everything that you need to begin and to endure everything in the Christian life. And Paul gave up his education. He gave up everything that he could have prided himself in in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Why is this so important in our life? Why is it so important to know Christ? I'll tell you why. If you don't take time to be in communion with Jesus Christ, and this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is the Christian life. You need to take time through reading the Scriptures to get to know Him better. And I'll tell you one thing that you will find time and time again throughout the Scriptures is that Jesus Christ is dependable. What He did, He did it once and for all. He did it so that you don't have to worry about your failures. He's given us grace so that when we fail, He gives us grace and more grace and more grace. Rely on that grace. You'll need that grace to run the Christian race. It's so important. Why? Because this was the part of the message that I struggled with. I'd asked the Lord, really, do I have to do this? And I know, again, I have to be obedient. I learned that years ago. And that obedience cost me, if you will, to be completely isolated. But that isolation drew me closer to the Savior, drew me into the study more in depth of the Scriptures so that I would be equipped for the days ahead. I little understood what that was all about. So today, I want to give you a warning. In this race, there are obstacles to avoid. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. 
Paul and Timothy both grew up in what is known today as Turkey or Asia Minor. Paul quite likely was at least 20 years older than Timothy. He refers to him as his son. He refers to him as his child because he was in the faith. But they both grew up in Turkey. And Paul had taken Timothy on his second missionary journey. And he had such confidence in Timothy that he told him at one point, I want you to stay in Ephesus. Another time he says, I'm sending you to Philippi. Another one, I'm sending you to this place. He had that confidence in him. If you will, then Paul was Timothy's mentor. And here's what he writes to Timothy. This is Paul's observation of his child in the faith, Timothy. I remember your sincere and unqualified faith. The surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness. A faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm confident that it is in you as well. Here's Timothy. He had grown up in a Christian family. His grandmother and his mother. And they would have imparted things to Timothy that made Timothy probably who he was. He not only had Paul as his mentor, he had his mother and he had his grandmother. Spiritual women that were imparting the word of God into his life. He says, that is why I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. Wow. Would you have liked to have had the Apostle Paul as your mentor? You couldn't have had anybody greater than Paul to mentor you. But something has happened in Timothy's life. The light, the flame, was beginning to go out. And I think it's the King James Version that says, words it this way. His advice to Timothy was, re-enkindle that gift that was within you. Re-enkindle. In other words, the light is going out. Look at a lantern with a wick. And if you don't trim the wick, the light begins to fade. And this is what was happening in Timothy's life. He was in the race. And Timothy wasn't a strong person. This is a hard message for some Baptists here. Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities, Timothy. He had a problem physically. He needed something. And Paul says, it's okay. He says, a little. Timothy was facing opposition, no doubt. It's not recorded. But he's in this race, and you can just imagine Timothy up against severe opposition in his day. Because during this time, Paul, at the end of his life, says, everyone who is in Asia has forsaken me. Asia, Asia Minor, Turkey, where he and Timothy had grown up. The opposition had become so great, and here's Timothy is losing heart. 
Are you here this morning and your spiritual life began with a bang? Is it still on fire for Jesus Christ? Or is that light beginning to diminish? Paul says, Timothy, you yourself have an obligation to do whatever you have to do to keep that light burning bright. We can't blame it on somebody else all because of this or I went to a church or the pastor said this. or No, no. It's you and I. We are responsible to keep that light aflame. And that's a difficult job. That's one of the things that we run up against in the Christian life. And let me tell you how encouraging it is to hear Lisa this morning saying what she's saying, going through this circumstance. Because these are the types of circumstances that can put out the flame. But as you keep focused on Jesus, He will see you through. He will walk through the valley with you, through the deep waters. He is faithful. He will not give up on you. No matter what the outcome is, God is faithful. There's another thing to watch out for. And I liken this to an eddy. You know what an eddy is. I'm not a canoeist. How many here are canoeists? Wow. Okay. Nobody. You're about in the same boat as I am. So, I won't ask you what's an eddy. I'll try and explain it to you. Let's look at this Christian life as a river. And you begin at the spring. It's bubbling. It's effervescent. That's the beginning of the Christian life. And you're so on fire and you want to tell people about what God has done for you. Your sins have been forgiven. You've got a new life. Things are all different. You've got a bright future. And as you progress down, it's just a small trickle at this point. And you're going down that river until finally it comes out in a valley somewhere and it widens out. And it becomes still. And the mariners on the ocean call that the doldrums. You now, in your Christian life, have come to the point you're in the doldrums. The wind's not blowing anymore. You're stagnant. You can't move. There's no wind to drive you forward. Then, suddenly, after a period of time, you continue through that and you hit the rapids. Dangers in front. And then you come across a huge boulder in the middle of the river. And the water's rushing around each side of it. Just the other side of that is an eddy. And that eddy begins to go like this. Okay? And if you get yourself caught in that eddy, you're no longer in the stream, the mainstream of the race. You've caught into an eddy. And the next thing you do is you're going like this. Instead of a cross-country race, you're now running the quarter mile. You set out in fervence this quarter mile, and you only to find that you come back to where you started. And you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You got caught in an eddy. There are things that can catch us into an eddy. And very often what it is, is you've given up the study of Scripture. And hear me, 
you're reading books about the scriptures. That's a dangerous place to be in. Books are good, but don't get stuck there. Get into the main flow. Get into the Word of God. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in this eddy, and the next thing it's going to do is going to lead you into false teaching and false doctrine. An eddy can be used as a launching point back out so that you've had time to rest. Nothing wrong with an eddy. But if you stay there too long, it can be dangerous. I may be going into an eddy in a good sense where I'm having to go back to Scripture and study certain subjects. But I can't get focused on one thing. We have the whole Word of God. Don't get focused on one thing and camp out there. If you do, you're stuck in an eddy. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. I urge you, Timothy, when I was on my way to Macedonia, to stay on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain individuals not to teach any different doctrines, nor to pay attention to legends, fables, myths, and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation and meaningless arguments rather than advancing God's program of instruction which is grounded in faith. And this requires surrendering the entire self to God in absolute trust and confidence. The goal of our instruction is love, which springs from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But here's the thing. Some individuals have wandered away from these things into empty arguments, useless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law of Moses even though they do not understand the terms they use or the subjects about which they make such confident declarations. This message this morning is a warning. Satan has infiltrated the church for centuries and it's getting worse. And people are turning away from the faith. My advice, keep your distance from those who turn God's grace into a license to sin on the one hand. Or anyone who diminishes Christ's finished work on Calvary from whom we have received eternal righteousness and any eternal salvation. You see, those that seek to turn you aside into an eddy, there's one feature that marks them and that is they're looking for a following. Don't. Don't. Don't give it a foothold. Don't follow. It'll soon come to an end if there's no followers. How do we become balanced in this? What did Paul teach? He says, I testify you on this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan of God. You see, if we isolate things, if we get our minds set on one thing and fixated on it and think that's the only thing that there is in the Scriptures, and we get ourselves on the wrong track, we're on the wrong track. 
Paul says he taught the whole counsel of God. In other words, he taught from Genesis to Malachi to those in his day. He only had the Old Testament scriptures. But he gave them an explanation of the whole part, not just one. Don't get caught up in that. And if you're going to read books, I'm not saying you don't, but if you do, read books of others that have an opposing view so that you see the balance. But my suggestion is don't even touch those books until you've studied the scriptures for yourself. Otherwise, you will not be discerning. Let me give you something practical. You're going to bear with me. This is my last Sunday. We were down in Florida one year and got in touch with a couple that had a house church. We went over there and uh, the one day he says, Dave, I'd like you to have this book. I'd like you to read this book and tell me what you think of it. This book, I can't remember the title of it. It was on healing. I don't know how many pages about that. In fact, I got about a quarter of the way through and I found out the basis on which this book was written. And I've got to try and get it clear in my mind. Let me, let me state the scripture first, otherwise I get it all backwards. He that began a good work in you, he will complete it. The, no, the other one is, um, uh, let me think here. While the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I got a quarter of the way into the book. And it says, the outward man is being renewed day by day. And the inward man is perishing. That was the basis on which the book was written. But if you did not know the scriptures, it sounds so familiar. You say, well, it must be true. It's important. Take the time to study for yourself. Then you will remember. You can read books till you're up the wazoo with books. You're not going to remember half of them. I guarantee you. But if you spend time in the Word, and I mean diligently, word by word, begin to study of it, it will stick. And that's your best preservation. So Paul's instruction to Timothy, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is something that needs to be done. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Not taking something out of its context. Number one, rightly dividing the word of truth. Take the time to see what this word says. Rightly divide it. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. I didn't know two weeks ago this was part of the message. But you now have it. And we're facing that today, the reality of what cancer can do. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenus and, and Philetius are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. In the future, Paul says, there is reserved for me the victor's crown. From Revelation 4, wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives 
forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You're running the race for the crown. You say, that's selfish. No. You're running the race so that you gain a crown so that one day you will have something to lay at Jesus' feet. Are you going to have something to lay at Jesus' feet? Have you run the race in such diligence and such determination that you've won a prize? It's not everybody that gets a prize, Paul says. You want to be one of those that reaches a prize so that someday when you're face to face with the Savior, lay your crown at Jesus' feet. So Paul says, run with endurance the race that's set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I can't give you anything better to help you in the days ahead. Run with endurance the race, but you can't do that unless you have a goal, and that goal is Jesus Christ. So as I say, I've had mixed feelings because I've come to love each and every one of you, got to know many of you well. But here I am, I guess I have to admit I'm getting to be an old guy and I hope I can pass on something to you. Be warned. The days ahead are going to be difficult. You need to have your life connected with Jesus. He has to mean everything to you or you're not going to.